for April 12th, 2021. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 667. Is George Clooney really Batman? It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. It's Matt and Pete. I'm Matt. That's Pete. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. <laughs> well, you know, Pete, I, I had a thought for this episode as we sort of we sort of rack our, our brains. You know, I couldn't find anything on, on HBO Max for us to watch this week because uh, I've been watching some other things. I can tell you about it. I, I, I don't think it's particularly interesting. I watched an Amazon show from last year, which was OK, if a little bit uh, underdeveloped. Uh, been uh, watching. The tel- I did the same thing. Oh, really? <laughs> OK, Different OK. Show, though. Oh, that's real, the problem. real quick. Mine was upload. What was yours? Oh, I watched The Boys. Oh yeah, yeah interesting. I've heard good things about it. Uh, I, it? I, and you said I should watch it, except uh, be careful. It's a little graphic. Uh, that's an understatement. It's the most graphically violent and gory television show I've ever seen by a huge margin. Really? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> like people exploded, decapitated, blood spattering everywhere. Uh, I mean, just the. The inciting incident for the entire series is one of the grossest things I've ever seen. So, so I would be careful. I mean, it's not. I mean, is it gorier than Tales from the Crypt? Probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that you have to go to to horror movie, uh, you know. And I'm and and I'm thinking like Pete, have you really, really watched Three's Company? <laughs> <laughs> But um have I ever <laughs> come I'm and knock on our door. door. <laughs> but uh I mean no like Grey's Anatomy actually is the thing. Oh. Like I think there are some like medical dramas that have gotten super gory, like super super graphic mm. in terms of of what they show. Now it's in the context of like medical of, you know, trying to heal people or operate on them or cure disease, right? It's not in the context of, you know, I don't know, trying to superhero people or or supervillain people. So it's maybe maybe a little different, like the context uh maybe makes a difference. Um but yeah, the uh that that uh that is good. Uh upload is not uh upload is like the good place meets idiocracy. Okay. Uh with a murder mystery. Um and also kind of a rom-com and it, it kind of round robins among those four shows, you know, uh, and, and kind of does like, I don't know, like, uh, like I imagine a spider making a web, you know, <laughs> it does like, now imagine a spider making a web on those four sure. strands, those four generic strands. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do like round one on this strand. Okay. Next episode, I'm going to do round one on the next strand. Okay. Next episode, I'm going to do round one on the next strand. Okay. Yeah. Next episode, I'm going to do round one on the fourth strand. Okay. We're four episodes in. It's time for step two back so it's on a, it's the a first. Herald, is what you're saying. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. The se- right. Okay. The second beater is, is about developing the, the idea that we, uh, the offer in the, in the first beat. Um, yeah, I, no one understands that. <laughs> no one understands that joke when we joke about second beats in Heralds. And actually, Pete, I think there's a, a bigger issue, right? Like that we talk about, um, we talk about film and television all the time. Um, were you aware? Were you aware? That film and television uh, contains within its visual depiction of a uh, dramatic story actors that there oh. are. Yeah. <laughs> right. So wait, so that stuff in the boys didn't actually happen? No. That's a relief. Oh, my goodness. All those people cut in half by the heat laser vision. Oh, boy. That would have been terrible. So, and how do you act so well? I pretend to be. I said to Peter Jackson, I am not a wizard. You are aware I am not a wizard. Um, and, uh, you know, it struck me that maybe acting would be an interesting thing to talk about because, uh, you know, you and I both have a history with it, with performance generally, with, you know, I mean, and what what is acting? What is non-acting performance? You know, to what extent to what extent is acting a continuum where you're doing it? Um, and to, you know, to what extent is, uh, to, how do we evaluate it? Like to what extent is it good or bad? Um, 
when when we talk about it like we talk about you know uh the stories the kind of like cultural aspects we you know talk about big theoretical stuff like that but there is a kind of lower level like i i mean that in the computer language sense there is a kind of closer to the road you know closer closer to the like the bare metal of the of the calculation um thing uh going on and it's it's being done by people in a room uh more recently in like a green room <laughs> with a lot of funny suits on but you know uh that 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 that's a thing and and so i guess i could th- start pete uh with a question for you it's does your life have a pr- no um <laughs> what is your objective Right. That's, uh, that's the thing I want to start with. No. What, what is, do we understand what acting is? Do we have like a good working definition? Well, it is a bit unfortunate to ask it as a yes or no question because I could just say no and then we can be done with it. It probably. <laughs> no, 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 wait. I would this say. This podcast that... is ruined. <laughs> I would say that we take for granted how strange acting is as a thing to do with your time yep. a lot. And and I think that uh, we is a big we in this, in this situation. Yep. Uh, I mean, I, I would suggest that acting is strange historically, that while there are many different theatrical traditions that have emerged organically from different parts of the world when they were in isolation with each other, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, only a few of them bear a resemblance in a close way to the things that we tend to take for granted about acting, right? I'm thinking about no theater. I'm thinking about... Um, I, I wrote this down to make sure I get it right <laughs> about Cthulhu, right? You know, learn about these things when Wait, you're studying Cth- theater, hopefully. Cthulhu? Not Cthulhu. That is traditional Tamil, uh, Indian theater. Oh, interesting. So, so like, so for example, right, um, the, to set the screen, right, the weird thing, I think, and, and you, you be the judge too, the weird thing about acting is the people who are playing the characters embodying the characters and 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 attempting to experience or act out in something resembling kind of real time what it is that those people in this fictional story were doing right the idea that the actors fully embody the characters in a story is not universal across theatrical traditions right. in the way that it is in the one that we know of from our era and it's from not, what it's, we've been exposed It's to. not even universal in our theatrical tradition. That's just very true. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of different modes. I mean, I would suggest that a lot of old theater is a lot more similar to, like, Richard Attenborough, right, or Jacques Cousteau, yeah. where it's like a bunch of pictures of impressive things that have been sort of presented for you and someone narrating what it is, right? Like, the sea is teeming with life, right? And the shark and the this and the that, right? And, and it's like there are masks, right, and costumes and stuff like that. Um and uh, and the idea being that the story is being channeled or related through traditional gesture, song a lot more often than talking most of the time, uh, because, of course, a lot of early theater is pre-literate and then has to do with the how do you memorize all of this stuff yeah, and, and how do and you pass singing, along. Singing is more, is more awesome than talking. Well, that's true. Singing is more awesome than talking. That's true. That's true. So So you have all these different traditions around the world and also in, you know— in the Western world writ large, right, which you can think of as as you know extending from what like India to here, I don't know, like what like, I'm only saying this because it all gets so fluid and so hard to track who's influencing who when you go back to you know really early times and you're talking about the Bronze Age civilizations that we don't even know a lot about and their traditional practices and all this stuff. So it all kind of goes back into the inky depths of history. And, uh, and and this notion that sure, you know, I mean, oh, like if you think about like like what we think of as like ancient Greek theater, you know, when yeah. Sophocles was writing or when Aeschylus was writing, right? Um, it's we know a lot about well, we know we know considerably more proportionally more, right, about them as social phenomena than we actually do like practically in terms of. Uh, what the acting was like, at least that's my, yeah, you know, yeah. in, in terms of what like the the technique was, because there were no, because there were no manuals, because there were no, uh, you know, printing, <laughs> there was no need for manuals. It was all on the job training. Right. But like, you know, the idea that it was totally normal in 
places back in the day for the play to be written by the king and to be presented one line at a time very slowly over a 44 day period right like to, in the midst of song and dance and and feasting right like these these would seem too strange to those of us who haven't watched the Snyder cut right and, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but like the idea that that something that you sit down to watch is supposed to take a convenient amount of time that you have a, a role as a spectator of a thing that's being being acted out and also that a given actor is you know oh george clooney is batman right <laughs> you know like that's that's not a that's a bit of a leap in logic in a lot of ways right is is george clooney really batman or is george clooney trying to suggest the notion of batman and sort of channel the traditional story of batman and i think that's where we start talking about kind of modern or contemporary I mean, how would you describe it? Because you want to narrow it down. We're not talking about like Butoh dance. We're not talking about, right, uh, you know, various sorts of avant-garde performance art. We're not talking about ballet, right? Um, we're not talking about uh, um, what, uh, I guess we're, we're, we're sort of talking about various forms of improvisational theater and comedia and pro wrestling and stuff in terms of people being characters. But the idea that there's an actor, there's actors and there's a, there's a script, right? And the actors are supposed to enact in their physical bodies the human scale participation in their characters is strange. And I think that's that's where I start. I yes, guess, uh, I absolutely like I've I have a thesis like I have an axe to grind on on this particular issue and that it's like that our idea and our again is is writ pretty large, um, you know, of what acting is derived from um I guess film and television really, right? Like is uh is a vanishingly small um kind of and and sort of retrograde subset of the the number of things that have been, the kinds of things that have been involved in performance over, over over the years and that it's really like this sort of 19th century uh idea that hasn't been innovated on much since then and it's kind it's kind of stuck um there much more so in you know the more commercial the entertainment is versus you know if you see uh, a lot of theater contemporary theater there's sort of considerably more experimentation dramaturgically uh, or in terms of in terms of performance styles um right yeah that's and, all and, that's all prologue though sort of right yeah the, or is, right. do you have a would you want to see more different sorts of performance styles in the sort of tv and movies that we talk about and overthinking it well, i mean i you do could, i mean yeah. i think there's there has been a trend towards like i don't know i th this may be historically inaccurate but let me associate it with ally mcbeal right okay the kind of theatricality uh of of sir and and i i mean i call it theatricality right like a uh a kind of like willing embrace of the of the kind of artifice and presentational aspects of making a making a filmed entertainment right and like using that effectively as a uh, as a storytelling tool right or as a as a filmmaking tool and um you know that this this sort of necessitates a different style uh of of performance than like you know than your your sort of standard drama you know than something like like um I don't know what uh a Shonda Rhyme show or something like that where or actually you know it's the difference between between Bridgerton where it seems like there is all of this uh, super artifice and all of this like concern with, you know, how things are being represented, um, like, uh, uh, versus, you know, uh, the kind of the procedural shows, uh, that Chandra Rhymes did early on, like the, the, you know, scandal, which was kind of like a intrigue, political, spy stuff thriller or you know what have you some some of the other ones like the legal one or the the medical one like that that uh you know that and that this is that this is different that you know it's been there's been a development um right that that we're we're accepting and kind of going into into more more stuff um 
yeah, but I'm I'm sort of talking I'm sort of talking in in circles here. But that like what you know, just the standard stuff, just the like the straight I'm playing a character sort of storytelling theater, uh, like you say, is weird and is also sort of pretty old and like pretty outmoded in its, um, you know, in its conception. And, uh, it's, it's a little bizarre, uh, that, that our sort of technologies and our thought technologies have not moved on a little faster from this, uh, you know, from this one particular mode of, of thinking about and practicing, um, you know, stage and stage and screen practice, like performance, performance practice. Um, and so I, I guess what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the kind of the, the late 19th century acting, um, that was developed to deal with, uh, realism with like theatrical realism and, you know, uh, shorthand for, I guess the shorthand is like Ibsen and Chekhov. Right. Uh, plays in which people were, you know, sort of socially realistic and um, played, you know, and meant to represent behavior, maybe kind of behavior in extremis. You know, like, uh, not, not like when, not, you know, just an average day going to the store, but like when someone dies or when a marriage breaks up or when, you know, uh, when something like extraordinary happens, like there's still dramatic stories, but the, the kind of the behavior in them was meant to be represented with some degree of naturalism. That is to say, you could recognize you know, because the stories were sort of more subtle, uh, and a little, a, a little less presentational, a little less formulaic, a little less, um, what paint by numbers than, than things that, that had gone before, like a little less like, uh, um, bombastic, I guess is the word I want than melodramatic, right. Than things that had gone before, uh, it, necessitated a new style in which, as you say, like the people like actually are the characters in which George Clooney is, uh, in which George Clooney is Batman, right? Like if Shakespeare wrote George Clooney as Batman, there would be a big soliloquy, you know, about like, uh, below the nipples on the bat suit here. <laughs> do, do not these nipples bring, uh, do not these nipples bring a sort of comedy? I, I don't know too many syllables in that line. Do, you know, do not these nipples bring uh, uh, a sort of of pathos to my attempt to seem so strong, so feared? I'm trying to make it rhyme, which is not, you know, not going to work for me, right? Like there, there would be, uh, there would be some explicit engagement with the idea, uh, of the kind of the theatricality. And like there would be a lot more present presentation, um, to it rather than the kind of the radical claim that like George Clooney is Batman. But like if you tried to do that, like Stanislavski would be like, no, what does Batman want in this right, moment? Right. You know? And I just, I, I just name dropped there. We're probably going to have to talk about that guy. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I'll, I'll back off here and give you a chance to get in. Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like we're kind of I don't want to be an old man yelling at a cloud. Right. Because let's not pretend we don't like these movies. <laughs> maybe we maybe we don't like Batman and Robin, but like we watch a lot of acting and we don't hate it. Right. Um, so I don't want to just say I don't want to wash our hands of our own enjoyment of it by claiming some sort of intellectual superiority to it. But I also wonder whether there has been more change than we think there has in ways that we haven't acknowledged. Mm. So so, for example, I mean, when you're saying, OK, it makes me think of something you've brought up before, which is what you described as the fallacy of imitative form, mm. right? Which, as I recall, an example of that is, say, you're making a movie about somebody going crazy, right? And so everything is kind of sloppy and the editing is is like wonky and, and deliberately bad, right? And it's like, oh, it's a feature because the guy is, is crazy, right? right? And it's like, well, you know – uh, I mean, what, what's the, what's the, what is the condemnation for that fallacy of imitative form? Well, it's uh, definitely, definitely one way to go. But I, I think like, so there, there's a difference between just cause we're talking about Shakespeare, like early Shakespeare and King John, where like when King John is going nuts, um, right. it's like, huh, 
what, hey, ho, ma, and there's, you know, all this broken syntax, and there's just kind of this, this noise making actually is a little more naturalistic, as opposed to sort of late, later in Shakespeare's career when, when Lear, you know, becomes, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, irrational, there is like a, grand beautiful kind of sweeping description of the irrationality like the irrationality the the way the thing is rendered right does not need to share every attribute with with the thing itself and and you know very often it's better if it if it doesn't um yeah the that's you know i mean is there a stock condemnation of it i you know i don't know but i i do think that it is a little bit art school Okay, so so to 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 pull it back. Okay, so uh, there is an intermediate step I would suggest between acting and representation in most movies and TV shows that we've been talking about. I, I, will, I will I will put this out there as a proposal, um, which would feel less conventional if it weren't justified self-consciously in the context of watching this show. So for, I mean, I'm thinking about the boys in watching this, right? It's, it's whatever you've been watching recently. It's a show about superheroes. Uh So think about superheroes, right? Superheroes aren't real, right? Uh, they, they do a lot of stuff that's not real and that you wouldn't expect to be stuff that really happens. And so if you were to have a superhero do some of the thing, if you were to have a person who is not a superhero, just do the things that the superheroes do in movies about superheroes or TV shows about superheroes. So like in the boys, right? There's a, there's a big scene that's very important to the whole show, the arc of both seasons of the show where the Homelander, who is the evil Superman analog and queen Maeve, who is the, uh, the, the wonder woman analog go to rescue a bunch of people on a hijacked airplane. Right. And they go on the airplane and, uh, they kill the terrorists but they also critically damage the airplane and kill the pilot uh. by accident, right? Um, there's this moment of choice where they could choose to do something about this, but instead, even even up to and including like taking two small children off of the plane and saving at least them, right? Because this guy can fly and he could carry like two people. But in order to avoid there being witnesses to this horrible thing, uh, the Homelander forces the Queen Maeve to abandon the plane and everybody on it to die in a plane crash. Now, to what extent is it is is the guy playing Homelander acting? Is is I think a question that is more interesting than it looks on the surface. Mm. Because on one hand, you know, he's trying to embody this person who has all sorts of characteristics that are not grounded in uh, what we, you and I would experience as being real people, right? He can fly, he can shoot lasers from his face, he's effectively immortal, he has no family and never has, right? Like, there's there's all this stuff about him that is just beyond. And and his performance, which is, I think, really good and really compelling and interesting in, in the show, is uh, is also weird in these sorts of ways. But the world of the show asks us to entertain the plausibility of his actions because he is a superhero. Now, what if it were just a person, right? Getting on a plane. And again, one of the interesting things from a performance perspective is the plane crash is being rendered with an attempt at, at realism, right? Which is which is a, a, something of a step beyond what they would have been able to do in the 19th century with this sort of thing. And I think qualitatively different, right? If they're like actually trying to actively traumatize you by using existing footage of real plane crashes to like, although I guess they did it with trains trying to run people over and stuff. But like the notion of you're watching a video of a plane crash, is it real or not? Right? Well, it's based on something real. We don't know. But I just, I wonder whether the abstraction, the, the, the handshake between the abstraction of, of character and the framing devices of stories, uh, uh, is supposed to invite a certain greater degree of comfort with the strangeness of the performances than we might otherwise have if if they weren't being justified to us. Um, you know, like all the people bantering in the Avengers all the time, would they really be joking in that kind of situation? Is it a is it the kind of thing that feels realistic or grounded? Right. Uh, well, if it were real people, they wouldn't be invulnerable. Right. Um <laughs> It's, it's it would be different, right? So I, I'm just, I'm putting that out there as as a because I know and it, so to go back to what you said, 
Well, do you think we have um, to treat like speculative things as a as a special case, or is you know is it all kind of speculative? Um, we could take it back to Stanislavski. I think Stanislavski I think distinguishes in in an actor prepares. Well, it's actually whether whether that's a good title for that is not uncontroversial. But the <laughs> um, in you know his book about his book about acting, he distinguishes between two facilities: a facility for imagination, which lets you kind of envision realistic things, and a facility right. for what he calls fantasy. Right? right for what for envisioning things that like his his example had to do with like astronomy because it was you know like the w- worlds far away that you see through a telescope and like you know thinking about like well what is it what is it like out there in the world that you see through the through the telescope and for that you need fantasy because you don't have any um you know you don't have any uh uh, experience of that, but it, I mean, it does seem to me like a, a big trope of of a lot of revisionist superhero stuff is that you know the superheroes are uh, just as venal <laughs> and you know right, <laughs> right. just a, that that it is sort of small c conservative in that it it posits a human nature that is even superhuman in nature, um, and that like people aren't better because they they can do better kinds of uh, kinds of things. So in that, like, which is again not how it works in the Snyder cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, they they live an entirely different kind of emotional emotional existence. Like it is, you know, it is interesting. Like to to Rick and one of the strengths of of Rick and Morty, and it's not its fan base, but like one of the strengths of of Rick and Morty is that it actually really takes seriously. You know the the like quantum reality, like many worlds hypothesis, and draws some very dark conclusions about what right, it right. you know uh, about what it means. But like a lot of um, you know, and that's a strong choice, right? Like that's a that's a strong move. As as unpleasant as it may be at times, like it you know it is a strong and interesting storytelling move, and and uh, you know I don't know the the I guess. Maybe some of the stuff that is like, oh, you know, the the superheroes, they're just like us. They get gas, they put their pants on one super leg at a time. You know, they, well, I think that this is where we get into the schools. They get butt crack, you know, just like you <laughs> you and I do. Well, um, let, let's, yeah. So let's run through a couple of the schools of acting then, right? <laughs> so like first there is what? The system, which is Stanislavski, okay, right? Okay, so so wait, we gotta we gotta go back before then, right? Like okay. in a in a presentational system of acting. Right. Uh, and we're, you know, we're talking about Europe more or less at the, at this point and the kind of the, the, where the European drama got to up to, you know, the, the late 19th century. Yeah. Um, and the, the, um, you know, the, the system that we think about at that point was like, you know, the, the plays that we think about are sort of the well-made play, which are sort of tightly plotted melodramas and, um, you know, stuff that like, uh, stuff that, that involves sort of stock characters in stock situations with sort of stock emotions. And that, um, some of it very good, but like, or some of it very enjoyable and interesting, but not, you know, not what we would think about as like, uh, psychologically realistic stories. And so in order to, you need like an, a technology, right? Like your, your acting is always a technology. Um, and it's, it's a technology like, uh, designed to meet the particular dramaturgical problems that you're facing. So like in that, you need a way of like basically making, making it clear which of the several emotions <laughs> on the palette, you know, we are meant to be portraying uh, at, at a given time. And so, you know, at, at the time, sort of, there were these texts for actors that were like, you know, draw your hand across your heart and cast your eyes up to the heaven and open your mouth wide to, to uh, uh, evoke despair. Right. And you, you, there would be drawings of these, these poses, you know, and stuff, stuff like that. And that like, you you know, um, it was kind of not recognizably human uh, in terms of like behavior that you would uh, you would imagine uh, a person would do. It was a lot more what sort of presenta- presentational, yeah. Um, vastly simpl- simplifying vast vast swaths of of history here, but this you know this sort of melodramatic handbook um, mm-hmm. 
type of acting really, you know, uh, was a, you know, mode was like a, and maybe even the modal form of how it went, how it went down. So, okay. Uh, along comes, uh, along comes some, uh, some other cultural developments, right? Like psychoanalysis was kind of brewing, uh, well, it's a, it's a couple decades before that, but like, you know, the, the type of, the type of cultural movements that also gave rise to psychoanalysis were happening, like a, a kind of a different conception of what, uh, human life was, what the perfection of human life was, what human emotions were all about, um, you know, what individual agency and kind of like individual experience were. And like, so all these things happened. Um, there were technological developments, you know, uh, and, uh, this sort of led to a, a different kind of writing, you know, and that, that, that kind of writing, well, I'm, I guess I'm making a kind of a false, uh, uh, what etiology out of this, you know, yep. uh, f- because it's not, um, doesn't sort of teleologically progress like to the, you know, to the better state, but there, you know, there were, there did emerge sort of new challenges and like some people tried to tackle the new challenges in, in new ways. And one of the, one of the people who did this was uh, a fellow named Konstantin Stanislavsky, who was Russian, um, and who, uh, you know, became supremely influential throughout the Western world in terms of uh, how he theorized, how he theorized acting. Um, and he trained a bunch of people up in his system, including coming to America and and training a bunch of people who later came on to do something called the group theater, which was uh, which became like method acting. Um, from which we think of like just to clarify he did not have any role in the film coming to america you're (laughs) saying he actually came to america yeah no no right exactly he he uh, was not looking for a queen uh (laughs) he did not come to to hold the mop in the spotlight and i want you to imagine a time in your childhood when you held a mop right (laughs) and i want you to mr mcdowell is going to come in and he's going to ask you if you'll work the late shift and then you're going to say like late shift what's that's right and then we're all going to laugh and so it's a little different right so the the idea of like uh the 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 crucial shift i think is the idea of conforming to a kind of pre-made um set of norms around performance uh going from that to you know conforming to some some idea of some like higher capital t truth philosophical truth uh about you know human psychology human behavior um and uh you know and and emotions and action and what you know what gives rise to to action so when you think of like what's my motivation this is the sort of thing that you're this is the the yeah. sort of resource of that that you can't just do stuff you can't just like go around quacking and clucking uh on a theatrical stage that like there there has to be some accounting for you know, the, the human behavior and what sorts of things, right, would bring about, uh, behavior like that and get, you know, giving rise in yourself to the sort of internal conditions where you portray those, um, you know, those internal or external forces, like imaginary forces in, in the, the, um, you know, in the scope of a story of a dramatic story that would lead to certain words and, and behaviors um, like this became the sort of the, the goal, uh, which is a, you know, really a, if you're used to like drawing your hand across your heart and casting, you know, rolling your eyes up to the heavens um, uh, in a, in a very kind of manipulated and self-conscious way um, you know, this is kind of a revolution uh, in, in theatrical affairs. Right. And it even goes farther, right? So, you have a situation where there are these old handbooks, and I think you see these sorts of handbooks as and the information that would be in these handbooks as popular across cultures, right? The sort of storied, the stored knowledge of what sort of gesture, what sort of costume, what sort of interpretation of a particular part that you have to play 
uh, is going to produce the desired reaction from the audience. That might be what you train in, right? right. That's that's not particularly unique. But what's the the transformation? No, and here actually, is, okay. it may be even sorry to interrupt. Pete, it may be even more cross cultural, given what we know about like the universality of certain like facial expressions, like certain physiological mm-hmm. responses to emotions, right. and the kind of evolutionary basis of of certain emotions. Like doing the, I keep wanting to call it the kabuki, which is a racist and b inaccurate, but doing the but doing Doing the the posing right form of of performance uh, might actually be more recognizable across more uh, more different cultures, and focusing in on kind of emotional subjectivity, which is always informed, which is always uh, at least a literal a little bit culturally informed because it comes out of I- individual experience, which is you know subject to you know the vicissitude, which is always contingent and kind of subject to interpretation. You know, uh, makes it a little less makes it a little less universal. Sorry, you made me think of that. I, I no, I, no, no, it's good. I it's yield. Good. The, I yield the floor to the no, no, to no, the no. gentleman from Stanislavski. It's fine. Uh, so, okay. So on the, think of it as a continuum, right? On the extreme end, you have actual booklets that are telling you how to make gestures and facial expressions and stuff to communicate particular sorts of emotions and other things that are useful for playing a part. Then you have the stock reactions that you might have in your life, right? To when you have a conversation, if you're not particularly keyed in, right, you might have a stock set of phrases that you use or ways that you stand or talk, right? You know, oh, you know, uh, what's what's the one that I always chafed at? Um, I know, right? Which was always just the sign that nobody nobody cared what I was saying, right? I know, right? Uh, but but like, I know, there right? Are, that there are habits that you get into when you're communicating with other people in your real life that have functional similarities to the things that are in like an actor's well, notebook, but are, are less strictly committed. Right. And then you follow through from there and, and you start investigating, okay, these characters have an interiority, right? The, we're going to talk about psychology. We're going to talk about, uh, su- you know, subconscious mind and subconscious motivations, right? In the scene, you know, Walter White is washing a car, but really he's suffering as a, as a, you know, in 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 uh, direct conflict to his own ideas of his own masculine identity. And we want to see that pain on his face. Right. And, and this idea that that there are interior interior uh, emotions that you want to make an effort to show forth exteriorly in a way that might contradict what you're actually doing. Right. Not actually doing, but what you're doing on, on a sort of surface level, basic level. Right. Um, and uh, and then you can go even further and you can get into the schools of acting that try to eliminate all stock gesture, right? Like like the poor theater and Grotowski and all that, where it's like anything that you do that's cliche or that is automatic, right, is is bad because it disengages you from the urgency and and kind of presence of the work, right? And and it should only be the interiority and the emotion and subconscious and uh, you know your sort of raw. Uh, you know, uh, like psychology kind of engaging with this content and not the various sorts of choreographies that you would use either as a human being or as an actor, right? Because uh, those are, of course, the Venn diagram for that has a lot of overlap, but it's not exclusive. Um, you know, there's Flipper and whatnot and Lassie. But uh, but yeah, like, uh, interestingly well, that's, enough- I mean, that, is, that is sort of interesting because, I mean, well, it's more than sort of interesting, Pete. I know, right? Because the, um, <laughs> <laughs> because the, um, those, the idea- the idea that your stock set of behaviors needs to be sort of trained out of you, right? Well, if so, I sorry that that assumes facts not in not in evidence. Given that you have a stock set of behaviors, right, which right, may right. be different from the stock set of behaviors of like Henry V or Walter White or Batman, right, know, right, 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 which you, might be different from each other. Maybe. Yeah. The, well, I don't know. I t- I didn't <laughs> choose those three examples at random, Pete. It's <laughs> or king john or king lear or you know that like to a certain extent you need to become very yeah you need to have those things kind of trained out of you so that you don't do those without realizing it you know know, um the the other thing you need to to get trained out of you if you're going to kind of commit to this uh, to this idea that like there is a character that is this sort of psychologically realistic entity that exists out of you know outside of you um 
that you need to sort of step into and and embody like forsaking your own uh, uh your own subjectivity for the subjectivity of the character right um the uh the other thing that you need to do is to sort of beat out of yourself the or or more likely have beaten out of you um uh the anything in you that is the, uh, kind of engaged with the presentational aspects of the thing. So if you're nervous about getting up in front of people and everyone sees that you're nervous and, and, you know, shaking because you're so filled with anxiety about like being in front of people at all. And you're doing the, the Henry V once more into the breach, uh, speech, those things are not consonant, you know, so right, the, right. the, you know, your own, um, your own uh, feelings right about the situation that you're in <laughs> being an actor on stage in front of people or in front of a camera with, you know, pressures and anxieties and like stuff and like, uh, you know, a costume that's chafing you and like all of this stuff. Um, all of this needs to be kind of studiously trained out of you or like uh, studiously trained to kind of not, not, not do it. And, and you see it in subtle ways and people uh, often who are very good at eliciting certain responses from, an audience and who can who really feel good about themselves from from doing those things right like the the journey of acting pete is the journey of never feeling good about yourself no matter what (laughs) no matter what you do um that like you know if you like getting laughs you know but you're you're doing a scene in which you know you're you're uh sad that your dog has died or something like that that you're you know and you're like doing a whole bunch of jokes and pulling faces and stuff like this because you like getting laughs you know this is not appropriate like the the number of things that like what the number of things on this continuum that you're positing uh where where there is a you know entirely artificial kind of presentational uh method and entirely you know uh, method Method, you know, right? Is uh, um, it's a big continuum, and and there's a lot of stuff on it, right? So one example that comes to mind, well, one actor who comes to mind is an actor we talk about a lot, which is Tilda Swinton, I guess. Uh, I'll 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 uh, I'll put out here two different actors to consider, right? Let's just keep it simple: Tilda Swinton and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Yes. I, I feel like it is a common criticism of actors uh-huh. that I hear that they only play themselves. Right. And we are impressed by actors who have the ability to transform into what appear to be different people. Mm. So when we're talking about your own physical vocabulary, emotional vocabulary that you might have as a person and whether it's been adequately trained out of you. Right. By the standards of the craft. Right. Not this show or the movie, but the, the the practice of acting, you know, that I wouldn't count Arnold as one of those people. He brings a lot of the same toolbox to every thing that he does. And mm. there's a certain amount of, of variety in what he does, but a lot of it, the audience wants to see. And, and there's sort of, an, there's this relationship with the character that's not entirely Stanislavski friendly, right? Where like the Stanislavski's me- method per se, or not, he obviously he didn't do method, but Stanislavski's and the derivative systems really, take into account the reality of a movie star, I guess is one one sort of question, wherein the audience expects the movie star to have certain mannerisms. And part of the entertainment is the tension between the mannerisms and the known personal aspects of the, of the actor, right? With the content that is different than what you've seen them do before, potentially, right? Like, like people cranking out, I'm just thinking of people cranking out tons and tons of Westerns, you know, like in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, right? Where, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio as an actor in that, in that uh, movie, for most of his career, doesn't really have a lot of variety in what he brings to the table. But that's not what he's doing, right? But I'm thinking about one movie I was thinking about was Snowpiercer. Uh, And I was thinking of Snowpiercer, and I guess Bong Joon-ho in general is maybe somebody to think about with regards to this stuff, because the degree to which the events in Snowpiercer strain kind of gratuity, right, is is higher than I would expect for most movies about post-apocalyptic trains, Right. Like there is a there is a definite self-conscious social commentary. Right. There is there is, you know, people in Nazi helmets. Right. There's like there's all sorts of symbols that are, uh, you know, very that that's, again, strain the reality. But obviously the reality is being strained. It's part of this faculty of fantasy. And if you look at Tilda Swinton. In Snowpiercer. Right. If you remember that character with the Coke bottle glasses and like the the fake teeth. Right. 
And the way that she just transforms who she is to the audience, right? Uh, none of her, you know, her grace isn't really there. Um, her ba- her balance is compromised because she's wearing a giant coat, right? Um, there's just a very different sort of person that appears there. And so I guess there are different techniques on display is what I would say. Um, and and to the extent that, I mean, what is it? I, I once did... Um, I've talked about this. I did a Mac Wellman play once, right? Uh, back way back in the day. And again, I haven't done a lot of serious acting in a long time. I did a lot of improv comedy, but not a lot of, of serious or avant-garde or dramatic acting for a while. But one of the last times I did it, you know, there, I read a piece by the playwright in which he referred to the method as a vast artistic and cultural sham. Uh-huh. Right. And that what he really wanted actors to do was read the words that are on the page. Right. Which is not an unsurprising perspective from a playwright. Uh, right. David Mamet wrote wrote a bunch of books like that. Really, right. You know? Right. Right. Where I think there is there are there are greater or lesser degrees to which these sorts of tools are incorporated. And I think it might be a bit of a cheat on Stanislavski's part that he entertains the possibility of like imagination and fantasy when so much of the technique is rooted in your own familiar experience. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's just, it doesn't quite all hold together. I mean, part of this is also just a long way of defending Vin Diesel. Uh, <laughs> who I think of as a wonderful performer, but who does not come to every role having had his stock gestures, you know, programmed out of him by like three months in a intense, you know, acting camp in the Mojave desert with Jared Leto. Right. Like that's not what Vin Diesel does. Oh God. Can you um, imagine? Can, yeah. Can you imagine a, a less fun place to be than stuck in the Mojave? But at the same time, like, like, you know, Jared Leto is the Joker in Suicide Squad and Jared Leto is the Joker in the Snyder Cut are very different characters. And you can totally see how it's probably necessary to say certain steps in order to perform those two characters that differently. Um, but, yeah, I guess it gets to the point where it's hard to escape the judgment of the audience. Um, well, in, it's, in, in, I mean, yeah, yeah. these things are different. Like we have to we have to have different words for what Vin Diesel does or what Arnold Schwarzenegger does. Uh, and what Tilda Swinton does, right? And you know what? We have to have different words for what Tilda Swinton does in the Doctor Strange franchise and what Tilda Swinton does in, you know, I Am Love or something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, because they're not, they're not really comparable, uh, in, uh, in terms of their, their aims, you know? And this is actually, I mean, I think this is actually something that, that we're cracking open, uh, in, something that we're cracking open. Like I, I sort of posited a modal type of, of contemporary acting, which is really stuck in the, the psychological realism of the late 19th century. And I, and I think one of, one of the things that you've brought to this is sort of cracking open that idea that, that it is kind of the modal technique, um, the, you know, that it is the kind of the most, the most popular form because what what even is meant by a dramatic work now you know it's very it's very different uh it's very different what they they're doing in the boys a uh, a serialized you know drama with some uh, actioning moments and what they're doing in breaking bad a serialized drama with some <laughs> some actiony moments right like it's uh and and sort of talking talking about how to prepare um, talking about how to prepare for what to do, um, in, in those things is, you can't, you can't really sort of theorize them in, in, in precisely the same way. One reason that Stanislavski did not, the, the idea of kind of being a movie star did not, uh, enter into his thinking was that he was born very, very rich, you know? And, <laughs> And so that is, that is a problem that a lot of people have. Yeah, right? it is, yes. it's a huge it's a huge problem. You know, right. no that that um he was free from any kind of commercial imperatives on his uh on his theater. And this is you know this is a point that I've I've read all the kind of the David Mamet anti Stanislavski books, and one one thing that he he says eh, oh david mammon he wrote some he he writes good dialogue i'm not sure what gave him the idea that he's allowed to sit at the big kids table intellectually i'll just say that but the the <laughs> like um, with us <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> mom i'm 40 years old i want to sit at the big kids table intellectually um no you sit down with david mammon while he talks about <laughs> 
How well he talks about well he writes essays about conservatism. Oh mom, David Mamet's talking about conservatism again. Um but what you know, one of the things that he says is that like some some rarefied artistic uh idea of truth, you know, that is that is sort of uh uh delivered to you sprinkled over you by gurus who are probably like trying to sleep with with some of the people in the class you know that that like a sort of abusive caste system of like gurus and apostolic succession and like sprinkling the 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 magic guru dust uh on you like th- this is dilettante this is like dilettante stuff um this is not how you actually learn to act the way you learn to act is is from the audience. And he sort of says that like, you know, Stanislavski came, came to the theater to like explore some sort of rarefied idea of, of, you know, truth and, and psychology. The busker comes to the theater to get his hat filled with coins so that he can buy dinner that night. And that's like that, that, you know, uh, the, the latter is the superior mode. Um, (laughs) according to, you know, according to David Mamet. I'm not sure I'm willing to say that, but I think we need to recognize that, that there are different modes and that sort of different things, you know, different things play, play into it. You know, I, I think sometimes about, I think sometimes about August Wilson, right? Who is this sort of great African American playwright of, uh, well, not of the 20th century, of the 20th and 21st centuries, but he wrote this, this series of plays called the 20th century cycle where he was trying to, trying to embody something or trying to portray something about the black experience sort of decade by decade throughout the, the 20th century. And so these were like there, if you read them, which, you know, I, I, everybody should like, they're, they're like very real. They're vital. They're, they're, you know, not supernaturalistic people speak, you know, at great length to each other. Like, you know, they, they sort of speechify and things. There are some concessions to theater, but they're like, they're very vital. They, they speak to like real urgent, um, like crisis level social issues. And I sometimes think of these things being performed in theaters and appreciated by people who can afford $120 theater tickets, you know? Um, and it's, it, you know, that, that like the, we, you sort of can't, you can't divorce the, the kind of the pure artistic ambitions from the, uh, from the kind of the commercial, the commercial reality. So, you know, I don't know. I think it is, I, I think that it's not a failing in Stanislavski that he didn't account for Arnold Schwarzenegger. He didn't set out to, you know, that was a non goal of his project, you know, it, to account for, um, for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Though, though he did write about cinema and said that, you know, the, the, um, the, dem- I've, uh, I can't quote exactly, but something like the demands on the actor in, in the cinema are far greater than in the theater because in the theater, uh, the assumption then was that you go through a story in some kind of organic order that, that makes emotional sense. And, uh, I, I think the, what he said was that in, in the, the, um, in the cinema, the actor might be called upon to die in the morning and be born in the afternoon. Right. And so like the sort of was a harder, harder job to do because you couldn't fall back on any kind of natural process of, of like undergoing, you know, a set of, a set of experiences that have an internal logic. Right. Um, right. Right. Uh, yeah. To them, but that is sorry that the, this idea that like we gotta you know our superhero movies and our our Tilda Swinton art like you know Tilda Swinton as the as the master uh, versus Tilda Swinton as uh, Kevin's mother and we need to talk about Kevin versus Tilda Swinton as whatever the heck she is in I Am Love right like these are these are different um, things and one of the one of the reasons why Tilda Swinton is so glorious is that she can sort of move among these um she can move among these uh different modes excellent yeah so i i to bring it down i would suggest as a counterpoint or not a counterpoint but as a as a way of fleshing this out a little bit i don't know i've watched a few things on youtube recently that i thought might be relevant to the discussion um i don't know if you've heard of them they're a little bit highbrow are you familiar with mr beast matt (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god no I am not. oh you're not familiar with mr beast <laughs> oh man mr beast is a is a youtube phenomenon uh he is a guy who gives away huge sums of money 
<laughs> and and goods. And that is like the extent of his shtick for the most part is like he will. I mean, he has stunts and other sorts of things, but he does these very high volume YouTube videos where he'll say the last person to stop running on this treadmill will get twenty thousand dollars. And like I bought a bunch of unmarked boxes that are full of quarter million dollars worth of stuff. And these people are going to get it right. And a lot of it is just giving tons and tons of money to people. Um, and, and set of goods to people that have been purchased with money. Right. Um, and, and the, the theater of it is interesting. I've, I've been amused and interested in the theater of it because, well, first of all, 60 million subscribers. Yes. Yes. I'm not kidding around. This is so like for, for by comparison, right? Like this means what, that he has like, that's on the main channel, beast philanthropy, 3 million subscribers, Mr. Beast. These are other, these are, you know, Mr. Beast gaming, 16.6 million subscribers, Mr. Beast shorts, which I guess is about his pants, uh, 6 million (laughs) subscribers, beast reacts. So this is Mr. Beast watching other things. And okay. That is 5.62 million <laughs> right subscribers right, right. right so this is like you know we're at the point where this is trivializing things like the nba finals or any television show in terms of its overall popularity but uh but but i guess the interesting thing about the dramaturgy and theatricality of it is it seems absurd at first right the notion that this guy just has a million dollars to give away oh he must be super rich right but then you think like well game shows give away money all the time and give away prizes all the time, right? So why is that? Why does Mr. Beast giving something away to the people on his videos feel so different than, say, Regis Philbin giving a million dollars away to somebody in who wants to be a millionaire, which he you know, might do periodically, right? Um, not necessarily that often, but he'd do a lot more shows that, than, uh, than might necessarily, um, you know, you get, you make up for it in volume. And, and there's this, there is this, Underperformance, I think, that is going into the character that Mr. Beast is playing, which is coupled with a lot of very stock gesture. It's it's an interesting combination. It's sort of like anti-melodrama in that, like, he points at things. He likes quarter squats and extends his arms out at things, right? He'll turn something towards the camera and look at it. But but he doesn't have this, like, ton of sham-wow energy, Right. He's a he's a relatively like chill person on not person, but persona on the channel. Right. And so the notion that the people in the Mr. Beast videos are acting, the people who are getting the money are acting. Right. They might not even be aware that they're acting, but it's a different idea of like what what performance do you have to give in this situation to make it seem normal, acceptable for this to be happening? Like the people don't want to look too desperate. Sometimes they get pretty intense, but most of the time they're very chill. Um, I don't know. It's uh, check out one of these. This is an exercise to the reader. If you're interested in some dramaturgy, check out a Mr. Beast video and see how the people react and how much they don't do the things that you would expect from an actor. Um, now, granted, this is hardly unique, right? I guess the other thing that you could compare a lot of this to is the uh, the reality TV acting style, which is to film people for a long, long, long period of time and construct the acting performance afterwards in editing, right? <laughs> which is which is different, I suppose, um, and kind of calls into question the whole practice in general. Sure, or um, or yeah. get people who are so used to having this done that they sort of pre-edit their own their own performances and just do them so that you don't even have to go to the trouble of the trouble of editing them. I mean, I feel like by your fourth or fifth appearance in the Bachelor franchise, you know, you're not quite as hard to produce as a yeah. first timer. <laughs> That's true. I don't know how much raw raw footage goes into these things. And I watch a lot of cooking shows, which also have an interesting relationship with reality, right? Is Guy Fieri acting? I mean, yes, I guess it's hard to say, right? Is he acting? He's acting like Guy Fieri. Um, but then again, what does that mean? What does it mean for any of us? And now, and then this is where it circles back to the idea that Stanislavski is presenting us with a solution to that question, but I don't think ultimately it's, it's a satisfying one. Um, well, I don't think it, we are- yeah, it certainly doesn't account for all of the things that, that we need to account for, you know, in our experience, right? Right. Um, the nipples on, you know, the nipples on the bat suit. You know. <laughs> um, I, I will go to just read the titles of several Mr. Beast videos, and I want you to imagine Tilda Swinton starring in them. Uh-huh. Um, I spent fifty hours buried alive. 
easy enough, right? That sounds like, I mean, she'd probably do that at the Met, right? Like, yeah, yeah would... that's true. That's true. <laughs> Selling houses for $1. <laughs> that, that's an interesting Tilda Swinton character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, press this button to win $100,000. I mean, that feels like a Bong Jong ho story, like just waiting <laughs> to happen, right? Um, let's see. Uh, would you rather have a Lamborghini or this house, right? <laughs> I ate the world's largest slice of pizza. I bought a private island. I bought the world's largest firework for $600,000. I broke into a house and left $50,000, right? Um, I gave $200,000 to people who lost their jobs. I mean, that's a George Clooney movie, I guess. Right. Or or, or the opposite. You know, it's it's just, it's, I guess, I guess the if we're leading with the audience and then you have the sort of cognitively demonstrative effects of like arrows and circles and bright, bold print, right. Emphasizing language, big faces right up in the camera. Right. The, the, there is an interesting uh, addition to the craft being made by the scientific pursuit of maximum reaction. Um, I don't know if we've seen it's uh, seen its full realization in uh in the kinds of TV and movies we like to watch, though, I think you might have to go to like a, Mar- a Minecraft channel to really fully experience the cutting edge uh, <laughs> of the craft. <laughs> it's like you either have to go to like a Yoruba experimental post-colonial theater in like Nigeria, or you have to like watch a random Minecraft stream. <laughs> like, well, yeah, like I mean, that's how you get actually, away the, from traditional the, acting. That like the the especially with streaming, you know, in like streaming, if you watch a Twitch streamer, a Twitch streamer is a heteroglossia, right? Because there's yeah. a there's a uh, a camera on the streamer, and so you see them generally keyed out against the background, and the background consists of several things, right? One is, you know, whatever game they're playing or streaming or whatever they're doing on their computer, right? Like, right. um, uh, another thing is sort of meta information about the the environment about the kind of like streaming room channel environment so like when people tip or subscribe or contribute or whatever like you know maybe there's like a an effect or something or a sound that happens uh when people subscribe to the channel or whatever right and then there may be some like live chat some kind of like interactive component um you know so there are like a lot of things happening happening on that on that screen at the same time um in the audio as well right like different different things the voice of the the streamer speaking into a microphone maybe sound effects or something like that from the game maybe music that's just playing all the time like just like a light edm kind of bed to like you know amp everything up just a little bit maybe like uh maybe sound effects when certain events happen socially within the you know within the group of people watching like that's that is a a super complex and like it's you know the what whatever the kind of like the yokel bumpkin uncle going to the movies and like getting scared by the the oncoming train being projected on the screen like that's not you know that that's nothing compared with the the heteroglossia of common streaming and i like some of the more interesting things that that you know, I think, I think are kind of happening in, in contemporary screen practice. It seems, it seems, uh, indecent to call it film when there are no movie theaters open right now. And when, you hey know, man, Godzilla made a lot of money, dude. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. You can't, you can't even see the, uh, the Bob Odenkirk, um, action movie, the Bob Odenkirk, John Wick, uh, except like sad middle-aged John Wick. <laughs> You know, um, John, um, to be fair, John Wick is both sad and middle aged. <laughs> I, I guess so. He looks so young. Like Keanu always looks so youthful to me. Uh, the in the and and that suit is extraordinarily slimming. But the um, you can't. Yeah, you can't even see it on on streaming. You gotta gotta take your life in your hands. I guess the the. Um, oh, uh, that like. Sorry, <laughs> I got totally. D- uh, Sorry, totally I blown, derailed you. you were, of you were, course, yeah. you're talking about how it's not film, how streaming well, is not film. That, well, you can't it's even a, watch film. Yeah, but it's yeah. not the, like in sort of screen practice. You know that that these elements kind of making and making an appearance and becoming sort of more normal uh, is is interesting. Think about like direct address, you know, to to the camera and how that's become uh, like a a really commonplace trope. You know, whereas in in another time even 10 years ago it's it's very unnerving 
You know, it's very kind of uh, alienating when a when a character turns into the camera and and talks to to the point to the point where where uh, when Gene Seberg does it in Breathless in Godard's Breathless when she she looks into the camera and says that line like the um, the the effect is is like uncanny uh, and it's and it's meant to be versus now where you sort of expect direct address. Um, because, because we all carry all these little cameras around with us, all the, we're all surrounded by cameras all the, all the time. I mean, I'm, I'm counting like seven cameras in, in my house right now, uh, that I know about and that like, um, you know, the idea that like you're sort of following and, and you're on a video call and someone turns to look at you, but then you're like observing some interaction as, as sort of a third party and like that this is becoming, that this is becoming more normal. And, and the more our, our lives are mediated through screens and, um, you know, through, through cameras, like the more this will become a normal part of our screen practice. And I suppose the more the technology of acting will need to adjust to, uh, adjust to follow this, which, you know, it, it has adjusted to uh, the, the world of CGI and it has adjusted to the world of, um, uh, uh I don't know, to, to the, the, uh, world of social media and all the world of video games before that with like um Scott Pilgrim being uh Scott Pilgrim the Edgar Wright uh film of Scott Pilgrim being um you know an e- example of that. Anyway, I had so many other areas I wanted I wanted to oh, get no, into I'm but sorry. we no, no we just we we uh we went in the directions that we went to and it turns out it's a uh, it's a topic that is very uh, that is very deep. I feel like I, 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 I didn't mean to, to criticize you, Pete. I meant to do, uh, I meant to do a, um, uh, to, to, uh, say that we could do a whole nother podcast on it. Yeah. And, uh, maybe like, we will sometime. Yeah, maybe, we need to do another two hander. Maybe every, every time a two hander borrowed a phrase borrowed from the theater, a play with, with only two people in it. Very, each of them having one hand cut off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, oh pete one last captain thing. hook captain hook dialogues is <laughs> one of my favorite uh avant-garde performance pieces yeah exactly the hook the the hook dialogues they all begin smee <laughs> um last last uh last thing before we go pete uh pete i like your shirt i like your shirt i like your shirt i like your shirt i i like your shirt I, I like your shirt. I like your shirt. <laughs> You're just going to like drop Sanford Meisner like the microphone and just leave <laughs> and not even acknowledge. We'll have to save that as an exercise for the reader. That's, that's for sure. Absolutely. Or what? for another time. We'll have to do Meisner cast 2021 at some point. <laughs> it's just us repeating Meisner cast by Meisner cast. Meisner cast, Meisner cast. My, there we go. Well, thanks for listening to this, uh, you know, this, uh, disquisition, this, uh, you know, uh, uh, peripatetic conversation of ours. Um, we're, we're, uh, interested to continue it if you want to leave a comment in the show notes. Thanks, Pete, very much as always for, uh, for making the two handers so storied with me. Uh, you know, appreciate it. So Likewise. storied every, every week. Uh, and, and it's a new story. It's, um, you know, it's uh, what we call uh, in acting the illusion of the first time, right? It's a, it's a new story every week. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with more Overthinking Podcast. Till then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably doesn't deserve.